thank you. And I'm uh, excited to share with you guys uh, today. Uh, so as we talk about this concept uh, and this reality of being rooted in love, a couple things kind of came to mind. And one of these is this illustration of a plant. And, and the reason this is, is because in John chapter 15, as Jesus is giving this last prayer, his last uh, sermon and message, if you will, to his closest friends and disciples, he, he, there's one thing that remains constant in John chapter 15. Uh, almost a dozen times, Jesus says, remain, 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 remain. He says, remain in me as I remain in you. In other translations, it says, abide in me. But he says, remain in me, remain in my love. Uh, remain, let my words remain in you. And he's constantly saying, remain, remain, and remain. And I think the reason Jesus says this is because our tendency, if we're not careful, is to escape, escape, escape. Uh, and so when we think of this idea of this plant remaining in its soil, it's, it's the picture that Jesus gives us. He says, if you would just remain in my love, uh, let's call it the soil. If you would just remain in my love, you would bear much fruit. You would see things happen. I think the problem sometimes that happens, that occurs, is that maybe we don't see the growth that we thought we would see when we first uh, experienced this love and this relationship with Jesus. And so we say, well, well, God, you promised so many beautiful things to me, but I'm not seeing it. This, this plant called my life is still pretty small. I thought I would be a sequoia by now, but I'm still this tiny little house plant. God, what are you doing? And so instead of remaining in God's love, we quickly jump ship to whatever's bigger or better. And we think, well, well maybe it's my job that will bring me the satisfaction and the happiness that I'm looking for. You know what, maybe it's, it's this relationship with this significant other. The past ones weren't working, so maybe this is what it is. I just need a different circumstance. And so often we base our life and our identity in the things and the people and the places around us instead of being rooted and remaining in the love of God and remaining good soil. And then when we quickly realize that circumstances don't bring us joy, and, and if, it, if it does, it's happiness, happiness that's fleeting, uh, we quickly jump to the next thing. And we think, well, well, maybe, well, that wasn't working, so I need to go to the next thing. And we constantly do this. When Jesus says, if you would just remain in me, I'm here, I'm constant, I'm faithful, I'm not going anywhere. My love is good, and it's for you, and I have good things that I promise you. But we constantly jump from thing to thing or person to person, place to place, trying to get this temporary satisfaction, this quick fix, if you will. And, and sometimes we even sacrifice it to the point of, man, we know what God has called us into and there's this big purpose and it scares us. So we try to settle for something a lot smaller and it doesn't fit in the plans and purposes it, that he has for us. Man, they, they just can't contain in this little circumstantial box that we try to put God in. But Jesus says, if you would just remain in me, if you would just remain in the good and beautiful soil of my love, and you would see good things happen. And what's beautiful is the, when Jesus calls us to remain, so much of what he wants to do is beneath the surface. It's the root system, it's the trust factor, it's the perseverance that he's trying to develop inside of us. See, this plant is only as strong as the roots that it grows beneath the soil. If the, so, if the roots are too shallow, then anything will knock it over and any kind of storm will blow it over. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you would just remain in me, what I want to do in you is more important than what I want to do through you. It's only out of an overflow of what I want to do in you that you're going to do things in this world. See, we can do a lot of good things, but unless we remain in the soil of his love, we can't do a lot of God things. You can thank Ricky if you'd like. A lot of amazing things happening, right? Our friends in France and 
And then Ricky really is asking the question, how are you rooting your life? What is your life rooted in? Ricky, if you don't know him, was our student pastor, and he, along with our North Campus student pastor and all these volunteers, survived 300 teenagers at a lockout on Friday night. And so we're glad he uh, texted me, went well, zero injured, zero died. So that's always kind of the report you want from your student pastor. Uh, but today we're, we're talking about building roots into God's love. And when we do that, it actually changes everything in our life. Several years ago at the Sundance Film Festival, a, a film was introduced to the world called Three Seasons. It's a story of a rickshaw driver who meets this beautiful woman, and he does her a, a favor by driving her home for free. And the next few days, he follows her around from a distance until he finally figures out that she's a prostitute. So he gives her a ride to and from the hotel she works at and where she lives, and he keeps an eye out on her. And over time, he finds out that she hates the life she leads, and her dream is to actually earn enough money so that she doesn't have to live that way anymore. And so he hears about this contest, and he enters this contest where there's enough prize money that he could do a lot of good. It, it would change his life in many ways. He enters it, and he wins. But instead of spending the money on himself, he invites this woman out for an evening and they go out to dinner and then they go to a hotel and he tells her to change into a white dress and to take off all the makeup that she'd caked on and he tells her that he just wants her to be able to rest in the same hotel without worrying about anyone coming in and he just allows her to sleep and to rest for the first time in what seems like a very long time a few days go by, they don't see each other until she finally sees him. She runs over and she's upset with him. And she tells him, you've ruined everything for me. I can't go back to this old life now that I've experienced a glimpse of what love really is. See, I think there's something inside each of us that longs to be loved just for who we are. We all have this deep desire for love. And yet, often we get manipulated into aiming our desire in the, at the wrong target. And as a result, what's promised to us as happiness and love ends up actually robbing the very thing that we desire. When we have a deep desire like this, and a promise that's in our head, if we, if we go after these deep desires in the wrong way, it can actually end up hurting us and hurting others. But here's the thing, when we begin to experience the love of God, the unconditional, beautiful love of God, it ruins us in all the best ways. We cannot go back to that which is destructive. And so in this series, we're looking at our identity, looking at the book of Ephesians, and our identity is we're loved by God. And we talked about last week how it's not about who you are, but whose you are. That when you say yes to Jesus, you become a new person, a new creation. You are in Christ. And every spiritual blessing that God has is now yours. But unfortunately, we don't live that way. We forget these promises. 
And so we're going to look at today at more of chapter 3. The Apostle Paul has written this letter. He's a church planter. And he's written this letter to be passed from church to church so that people who follow Jesus could know how to live this kind of life, knowing who they really are. And in chapter 3, he talks about a plan that God has to change this broken, messed up world. And it's a mysterious plan. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God has a plan. He's doing something in this world. And in that day, Jews and Gentiles were pitted against each other in one of the greatest racial, ethnic, religious, socioeconomic divides you can imagine. See, the Jews were an oppressed minority living under a brutal Roman rule in the midst of the Greek civilization which took Greek philosophy paired with mythological gods and immoral practices which highly offended the Jews. And and they lived at the crossroads of commerce and so people from Africa and Persia and India would come through and to the Jewish mind they lumped anyone who was not Jewish into one category. They're all Gentiles. A very us-versus-them mentality had formed, especially among the more religious. Now, the Jews felt it was unclean to even share a meal with a Gentile. But did you know that the Egyptians, when the Jewish people lived with them, would not eat a meal with them either? And so there's a, a great deal of division in those days. And some of you are thinking, well, that sounds a lot like today. I mean, there are so many divides in our day. Race against race, Democrats against Republican, Fox News disciples against MSNBC disciples. The poor and the rich set against each other. Now, this idea of the Jews versus the Gentiles was even a higher wall than you could imagine. There's a common Jewish saying, which was, it's better to be a dog than a Gentile. And yet, God's mysterious plan of love is inserting himself into history, but not into Rome, the most powerful government on the planet, a place of political power and prestige and glory. No, instead, God inserts himself into history as a baby, growing into the Messiah, the Messiah of the oppressed, hurting, and outcast minority. The Jews. See, God's plan was to unite people, all his children, under equal status. Ephesians 3, 6, both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. See, that's the good news of Jesus. You don't have to earn it, deserve it, fight for it, prove yourself worthy of it, jump through religious hoops to get it. You are loved by God. He likes you. He created you on purpose and for a purpose. 
No matter what your background, Jewish, Gentile, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, Greek, Roman, Christian, Baptist, you have an opportunity to know God. He wants to include you. But because of his love, he gives us freedom so we can choose to exclude ourselves. But we're each invited. And for all who want God's forgiveness and leadership, we are included in this new family, this new humanity. We are in Christ. We've been talking about all that that means, a new identity, a new standing before God. And when we understand it, it changes our view of ourselves. Much like this dog I saw online this week. He didn't realize all along he's Batman. See, seeing ourselves as God sees us can ruin us. We cannot see things the same way anymore. When you really sink roots deep into how much God likes you, that he's for you, that you are loved already, when you experience God's love, you don't want to go back to the old way of playing God and trying to run the universe by yourself. His love ruins us. Paul says that we all share equal status in God's kingdom. As adopted sons or, or daughters, we have this equal inheritance of all that God owns, which, by the way, is everything. Equal blessings, endless treasures available to us in Christ. That's what God's plan is, is, is to unite us all across that divides us. Paul says it like this to the Galatian church. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And these letters to these early church leaders and these early churches, there was no distinction between socioeconomics and gender, between who gets what spiritual gifts that we were all invited into a new kingdom, a, a family that operates so differently than the rest of the planet. All the categories that are used to divide us, ethnic, socioeconomic, gender, disappear in Christ. In Christ, God's plan is to make us one, a unity that respects differences, includes differences as created by God, but unites us in the midst of our differences. Instead of letting evil pit us against each other based on these differences. There's a deep-rooted love from God that teaches us to love across these boundaries. That's why one of my favorite events that we do here is our multicultural dinners. In fact, we have one this Friday night. If you've never been, it's so much fun. I remember the very first time we did it a couple years ago. And we just invited everyone to, invite, to bring a side dish, uh, uh, an entree, a dessert that maybe their grandmother used to make, something from your, your background. And, and we weren't sure how many people would come. And I was really hungry. And it was amazing. That entire lobby was filled with people and delicious foods from all over the world. Every single time, it's been such a beautiful experience. So I want to encourage you, this Friday night, if you have plans, change them and join us. It's going to be a beautiful time. Not only will we have dinner, but it will be followed by a time of worship all together this Friday. You see, what we're experiencing here is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. It's so different than the rest of the world. Well, during winter camp several months ago, I met a guy named Stu, and 
he serves with some of our teenagers or young young adults or maybe it's the tweens up at Gateway North. But his story is remarkable. He's a, an extreme sports enthusiast, not just like watching it on TV, like doing it. And he told pictures or told stories of skiing down 3,000 feet of nearly vertical drops. And he surfed the most dangerous wave in Tahiti. They call it chokes. Now, the word that this is derived from in Tahitian means skull crusher. But no conquest, no success, no thrill he's discovered can substitute for the love that he's found in Jesus. We asked him to write up his story. He wrote some of these words. He says, I came to Gateway with desperate expectations. My 16-year relationship with my wife and only friend and confidant lay crumbled in irreparable ruins. My marriage was ending, and my teenage kids were begging me to come to church, but I had never been a believer or even attended a church. My own parents divorced when I was 11, leading to a disjointed and unstructured young life. I began smoking pot at 16. This became such an ingrained part of my life that I never questioned its, questioned its effects. For my whole life, I had been a thrill-seeking hedonist. I always liked helping others, but what really lit me up was having fun. He goes on to talk about riding a bike, climbing walls, skiing down, free falls. These things would just fill him up with an inner glow, unmatched by anything else. I don't think that's what I would be feeling in those moments. What about you? It would not be a warm inner glow, more of a burning sense of terror. He goes on to say that what he wanted from all of this adventure was not accomplishment. It was to belong. He says, the ideas that I learned at Gateway made me reconsider everything. Suddenly, I already was included all at once. If I want what Jesus did to count for me, I'm already in. I'm included. Never before was it presented that I'm already good enough for God, that he already loves me, that I didn't have to do things to get to God. He goes on to choose to follow Jesus, and he gets baptized, and he jumps into a life group. And he goes to the life group, and he says when he gets there, he realized no one seemed to be like him. But then he looked closer and realized no one seemed to be like anyone. <laughs> it was a group of very different people. And over the course of the next several weeks and months, as they learned to trust each other, it became a safe place. He refer referred to it as an enclave of vulnerability, protected by harm, by trust. He goes on to say, I began to see in the midst of this community, relief from judgment, we were real with each other. And I began to see my pot smoking as it truly was. It was creating an imperfect base upon which other facets of my life were teetering. Without any agony, without any help, other than what I was getting from my group and from the scriptures, I stopped smoking pot after 42 years. My group and even my non-Christian friends were unbelievably supportive. Now, several months later, I cannot imagine returning to it. There's simply no need. I'm a child of God. He neither wants nor needs me to hide myself behind anything. After all, he sees me anyway as I am, and he loves me, he writes in that letter. Finally, he says, 
currently we are in a journey in our life group through the spiritual outcomes. We have covered topics that force us to examine thoughts and feelings we never before analyzed. Putting into practice the ideas and truth in the scriptures, I have come to realize that God wants me to do what I do to have fun. That is my joy. And so even to this day, we interact with pro surfers and other extreme sports types and tells them about how his life has changed and how they can find that they're looking forward to being with him. See, God's plan is mysterious. It's reaching out into every one of our lives. It's up to us to decide whether we will receive his calling, to step into our purpose. But the way that God's plan works is it's working life by life, spreading through love across the globe. It doesn't work the way the world would think. It's not about military might. It's not about force. It's about sacrificial love. And ironically, God describes this plan through a man named Paul. The one who wrote Ephesians, he was a former hater of Gentiles, a hater of Christians. That's why he calls himself in his letters the least deserving, because he was killing Christians, hating Gentiles before God so changed his life with his love. That he became someone who advocated on behalf of Gentiles, a leader among Christians, willingly suffering to advance the message of Jesus. That's how love conquers, not by force, but by suffering. Suffering personally for the good of people we once did not even like. What if both people in a struggling marriage had that kind of power to love, a love so strong that it could suffer personally for the good of the other? I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about laying down ourselves to put the other first. If both did that, so many marriages would flourish. What if our company's leadership was willing to give of themselves for the good of their employees? What if employees were willing to give of themselves for the leadership? Demonstrating a love for each other that comes from God. It would eliminate office politics and gossip and hurt and be a place that was fun, supportive, and encouraging and even more productive. See, that's actually God's mysterious plan is that to, he's changing society through the church. Now, Paul uses this word mysterion in this passage. It's often translated as mystery. It doesn't mean a riddle or secret. It refers to something partially understood but not fully disclosed or comprehended all at once. It's like the Hebrew scriptures completely make sense in light of the Messiah's revelations, Jesus' life and death and resurrection and his teachings. For instance, at the beginning of recorded history, 4,000 years ago, God creates the Jewish people through Abraham and Sarah and reveals in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. For centuries, people were unsure of exactly how following the God of Abraham would end up blessing all the nations. But it was fully understood and fulfilled in Jesus, that the Messiah of the Jews would come and be the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer for all peoples. That he would pay for all of our wrongs so that we could reconnect, re-root in the source of love, the only one who can meet our greatest desires. 
And then he says this in Isaiah 49, the prophet says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It wasn't clear what that meant until Jesus came saying, I am the light of the world. Or then these words in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, God's mysterious plan was to spread his love to the whole world through Jesus. The Jewish nation prepared the way for God's self-revelation of his love, and it was for all nations, which is why Jesus' last words were these in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He summed up the scriptures in loving God and loving people. And we are invited into the mission of spreading the love, not just with our words, but with our actions as well. The mystery of this plan is that the church would be the conveyor of this message. And some of you are thinking, the church, if I had a record up here, if I was a DJ, God is going to change the word through the church, and all of a sudden the record would like, you know, that sound, like scratch across. Wait, what are you talking about? The church. I mean, the church has done so much damage to the message of Jesus. Some of you are here in spite of people who call themselves Christians. So what is the church? The church is not a building. It's not a denomination. It's not a service. The church is made up of those who follow Jesus. And see, we live in a world where there's something called cultural Christianity. People who think they're Christian just because they're American. But in reality, those who truly follow Jesus are willing to sacrifice and love and serve and put others first and die to themselves. They're not seeking out political power or judging or living in the midst of hypocrisy. And we are broken people as followers of Jesus, but God is healing us day after day. And we become wounded healers, bringing that healing to others. God is still working his plan for good, just like he used the evil perpetrated by Judas in betraying Jesus to lead to Jesus' crucifixion. God can use even the dark deeds of humanity to somehow bring about good, to point people towards Jesus in spite of the church. What's really beautiful at Gateway and across our Austin campuses, we have 65 different nations represented But did you know that the fastest growing versions of Christianity, the fastest growing church is actually in South America and China and Africa? Just this week, I was reading an article about how the message of Jesus is spreading rapidly in Iran and Afghanistan. From the article I read, it said this, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries put together since Islam came to Iran. Last year, the mission research organization Operation World named Iran as having the fastest growing evangelical church in the world. According to the same organization, the second fastest growing church is in Afghanistan. And Afghans are being reached in part by Iranians since their language is similar. 
Why do you think the message of Jesus is spreading so quickly in these places where people are so oppressed in Africa, in the Middle East? Well, here's the beautiful thing. The Bible was written by oppressed and enslaved people. Now, usually history is written by the winners. And we lose the the voice of those who have lost. But the Jewish people in the early church, in spite of being oppressed, in spite of being persecuted, protected these prophecies, the, the histories, the poetry, the letters that make up what we call the Bible. The oppressed people identify with the challenges and the persecution and the difficulties that the people of Israel and the church have faced. God is for the oppressed and will one day make all things right. And that even in the midst of the worst of circumstances, that God is with us. See, people across the planet see that God is for the oppressed. They see themselves in the story. And sometimes it's actually harder for those of us who don't face persecution to say yes to Jesus when we think we have it all already. But do we really? See, the message of Jesus, this mysterious plan is turning everything upside down. Ephesians 3.10 says this, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What we are doing together is bigger than we are. You and I, his church in Christ, are putting on a clinic for the spiritual world, the unseen rulers and authorities, good and evil. God is taking diverse people, even enemies, and uniting us through the power of transformation that comes by His Spirit. And the beautiful thing is we catch glimpses of that all the time here at Gateway in South Austin. Last week, I had a chance, a privilege, really, to baptize several adults. I have a picture of us from last week. I had a chance to baptize Kelly and Amber and Courtney, Andrea and Angie. Kyle and Sunshine and Luke. It was a beautiful moment as they celebrated what God had already done in their heart, that they had given their lives to follow him. And so now, symbolically, they're dying to their old life and being raised to walk a new life because that's already happened spiritually. I mentioned the story of Sunshine last week. A neighbor, a friend, grew up, her daughter grew up with our daughter, and they're now seniors together in high school. And it was just so beautiful. Uh, Several months ago when she reached out, wanting to get connected, feeling like there was something more, wanting to try out Gateway. After several months, her and her boyfriend, Louie, decided to follow Jesus, get baptized. And one day we were talking about getting baptized. And while we were having this conversation, it dawned on me. In the fall of 2015, those of us who were a part of this church, when this was being built, this was an old Uh, empty building. It used to be an ACB and then it was an Albertsons. And in this room, we wrote on that wall in the back the names of people that we wanted to see come to faith. And my daughter had written these words on that wall. I shared it with Sunshine and Dewey and we all started to cry. Cindy was there and a prayer of a 12 or 13 year old girl had been answered all these years later. We were catching glimpses of God at work, changing lives. So when you get into diverse community here, 
and people rub you the wrong way or hurt you or conflict arises, you end up serving alongside a Cowboys fan and you're a Saints fan. Or you're in a life group with an Aggie and you're a Longhorn. Or like Tad taught us from our our deaf network last week that, you know, the sign for I love you in sign language, he joked that it's a combination of hook them and gig them. And I thought, that is not true. That is not true. But the beautiful thing is in the midst of conflict, and it will come, we can learn to extend forgiveness, to not give in to bitterness. He's demonstrating to us a new way of living, a, a way of living that's based on new life that comes through Jesus. I, I want to put on the board behind me this prayer, Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. And, and as I read through it, I want you to turn this into a prayer, your prayer to God. Allow this to be a moment where you connect your heart to him and allow him to speak to you. If it helps you to close your eyes, you can do that. Otherwise, follow along as I read these beautiful words. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Heavenly Father, would you help us to recognize, to realize your amazing love for us. And that love, God, would you help it to bubble over and out of our life into the lives of other people. That the world around us would know your love through us. God, thank you for the gift of relationship with you. May we grow in that. May we be rooted in your love and out of that do the good that you've called us to do. I pray you this in your name.